Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, uh, my guest is Peter Riebling with Riebling IP. Uh, Peter has been uh, practicing uh, trademark and copyright uh, for a number of years now, and uh, he's got over 25 years, and he has managed uh, many different projects over time. Uh, Peter, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Very much appreciate it. So what made you uh, get into this field? Uh, it was actually by, uh, by happenstance. You know, I, I, my wife and I had, had moved from California to, uh, to D.C. And um, I, I had done a lot of civil litigation in California. And the, uh, the first um, job I was able to get in D.C., actually, they were looking for someone to do trademark litigation. And I said, well, you know, I don't know anything about trademarks, but I know a lot about litigation. And they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you everything you need to know about trademarks. So it's kind of a, uh, interesting, uh, partnership there with the firm that, that brought me on. And, um, uh, you know, from the very beginning, right out of the box, uh, one of the first cases that they assigned me to was a case that, uh, a trademark case that went all the way to the Supreme court. So that was kind of interesting. That's that's that, that's pretty cool for your uh, first case to to be going uh, directly <laughs> to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah, kind of like going to the Super Bowl, like right out of uh, as, as a you know as a newly minted NFL player. You know, right. So you know, obviously, you found success. Uh, you know, quite early. Um, you know, in your career with with um, you know dealing with trademarks and and so forth. Um, can you tell us, um, kind of give, give us a, a, a good story of a client that you worked on or a thing that you were able to do uh, in, in your career here? Yeah, so I think one of the sort of more fun stories of my career was when um, a client of ours who was a software, uh, software company, very large software company, uh, contacted us and said, hey, we we uh, we've been uh, approached by a very large uh, computer company, um, and they want to buy our trademarks. And um, we kept saying no, and um, they uh, finally um, uh, brought in the big guns, and we started getting emails from Steve Jobs, uh, the company that was courting them was Apple, obviously, and. Um, and so it was interesting because I thought, wow, if, if, if they're bringing in, you know, the, the, the founder and, and CEO of the company, they must really want this uh, trademark from our client. So uh, Jobs invited us to come to the Cupertino campus uh, in California. And uh, so we did. And so there was four of us who sat down in a room, uh, myself, uh, the president of our, of our uh, client, uh, and Steve Jobs and his general counsel. 
and um, we sat down and started negotiating you know, whether or not our client was willing to sell this uh, trademark that uh, Apple really wanted. Um, and part of the reason that they were in such a rush was this was just a few days after Thanksgiving, and they they wanted to launch a product uh, in time for uh, you know being able to sell it over the you know over the Christmas holidays. And um, and I, I sort of knew you know from a negotiating strategy you know in my mind once Jobs got involved the price just went up uh, significantly because I knew that they were desperate. So how long, how long did you guys sit in the room and negotiate for? We were there for about an hour and, uh, you know, the, the president of our company, uh, our client's company, um, was, you know, she was, she was very, uh, adept in these negotiations because when, when jobs was you know, talking about, uh, you know, you know, how, how he wanted and needed this, this brand, uh, her response was, well, you know, this is one of our very first brands. Uh, we're very nostalgic about it. Um, and then she would turn to him and say, you know what it's like to be a founder um, and, you know, have one of your first company names and you know, really don't want to part with it because of all the memories. And she, she played it really well. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, so we left the, um, uh, the campus after about an hour uh, with no deal. And uh, I think that was smart on our part too, because uh, you know, we got a very good deal, a very good offer um, a few days later and uh, we accepted. So how, how, how was it meeting him in person? So yeah, I, I have to say the one thing that I, uh, uh, I remember about that meeting was um, how he he um, was very um, very sort of quiet, uh, wasn't you know loud or but he was just very calm, very rational, um, knew what he wanted, uh, very you know very very confident um, in his uh, you know like we knew and everyone in the room knew that ultimately he was going to get what he wanted, right? Uh, it was just a matter of what the price was going to be. Um, and the interesting thing was when my, my client and I, after the meeting, when we went out into the parking lot, we were talking and it was, I don't know, about four, four thirty PM. Um, and the sun was sort of setting on the Cupertino campus and we were sort of like, you know, debriefing the meeting and jobs came walking out of, uh, the building, uh, walking to his car. And what struck me immediately was he had absolutely nothing in his hands whatsoever uh, other than his car keys. And I thought, wow, there's a guy who's like really organized. You know, he's, he's president of the you know, giant, you know, computer company. And if it was me, I'd have a backpack and I'd have you know, a briefcase and, you know, all sorts of stuff to read and everything. And he comes walking out literally. And, and oh, and by the way, he, in the meeting, he was wearing jeans and tennis shoes, right? Like his classic, you know, thing. Right. But he comes walk comes walking out of the building at four thirty uh, in jeans and tennis shoes, and 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 walks to his car, says hi to us, walks to his car with literally nothing in his hands uh, but his keys, and gets into a really nice Ferrari, red Ferrari, 
and uh, you know drives drives off, and I thought, wow, that guy really has it going on, you know. <laughs> right, right. So, so when so, you leave the office, do you have your backpack and everything else now, or you just walk out with your keys? <laughs> I still got my backpack, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, he so he got his Christmas present. He got his his the trademark that he wanted uh, awesome. just in time for Christmas, and and um, yeah, so that was uh, that, so that was a fun experience you know not all uh the deals are, are as fun as that but that was that was definitely one of the the, the funner deals right so in some, some of the other stuff that that um you know that you've done in your career um i know one of the things was um whether uh, if color may be subject to trademark protection tell us about that yeah, so uh, there was a split among the courts as to whether or not uh, color uh, could be secured and sort of locked up by uh, a commercial enterprise, so that so that you could keep competitors from from using color. And um, it, a part of it was this idea of a color depletion theory that look, there's only so many colors that you know a company can use uh, for its branding, and uh, you know, can someone really trademark the color blue you know the, their competitors from using blue and and the answer is uh in certain certain circumstances yes um and this is this is actually the case that went all the way up to the the u.s supreme court um and in that particular case um it had to do with the the sort of this the color of a uh of a press uh of a pad that you would that, that you could put over uh uh, like when you're ironing, uh, like at a dry cleaners, uh, and so this particular particular color uh, that they made this pad was it's kind of like this actually like sort of pictured green color, not really an attractive color, but um, the idea was that you know the people who who owned the dry cleaning businesses and things when they wanted uh, a superior high quality pad, they would remember, oh, you know, I want to get that one that's in that particular color, and. Um, as it turns out, a lot of companies use color uh, really strictly as a as a way to identify source. So, sort of the, one of the classic examples is um, uh, building insulation. So you'll see that a lot of you know building insulation is is the color pink. Right. Well, there's absolutely no reason for pink to be in there. They inject that color dye in there. Strictly to act as a source identifier or as a or as a branding uh, mechanism, so people say, "Oh, you know, I want that pink insulation because I've seen it before and I know that it must be must be good." But there's really no reason for it to be pink. You could put any other color in there. So, um, so the color pink has been registered as a, as trade dress, which is a type of trademark you can get for uh, you know product configurations or colors. Um, and so no other competitor can use the color pink in building insulation because, uh, Dow Corning has the, the registration for it. So it's a high bar, uh, to get, you know, color protection. Um, we recently obtained color protection for a, a retail store, um, called David's Tea that, um, uh, had a certain sort of aquamarine teal type color um, for its storefronts 
And uh, the way we were able to do it was you have to prove to the trademark office that the color no longer is just a color, but it actually uh, functions as a source identifier to consumers. Um, and, and, and keep in mind that the, the color trademark registration is very limited to just what you're doing. So, you know, we didn't get their ownership of the color teal um, for everything, for all goods and services. It was only for, you know, serving tea, right? And so no one else can get that color, you know, for serving tea, but they can certainly use it for a lot of other things uh, and even get it registered for, the, for themselves for uh, all sorts of other products and services. So, um, you know, trademarks, and I, maybe this might be a good sort of time to talk about the difference between trademarks and copyrights and, and sort of the limitations and, and scopes uh, of each. Yeah, that'd be, that, that, that's, which was definitely my next question, um, understanding yeah. what the, you know, if you can explain to us the difference between, you know, a trademark and a copyright and, because um, I know I have, have clients who, you know, think it's real easy to, to go get one of these um, just by, you know, saying, oh, I want to do it. Um, so if you can, you know, explain mm -hmm. to us the difference between the two of them and a little bit about the process. Yeah, no. Uh, so, um, so there's really four types of intellectual property. Uh, and I kind of, I sort of like tell people, think of them as buckets, you know, so there's four buckets of intellectual property. The first would be trademarks. The second is, you know, copyrights. The third is patents and the fourth is trade secrets. Um, and I'll, I'll talk all about the other ones quickly and then I'll finish with trademarks. Uh, so copyrights protect, uh, the expression of an idea. So, you know, if you think of like a novel or a movie or, you know, you have this idea and, you know, you express it, uh, that expression is protectable by, by copyright. Um, patents protect the idea itself. So, you know, you don't even have to make the product at all, but you have this idea, you can get ownership of that idea uh, if you get a patent issued on it. The, the, um, the deal with patents is, though, you only get protection for about 17 years, and then it falls into the public domain, and that's sort of the trade-off. The government gives you a monopoly for 17 years on this idea, so no one else can even make a product that's you know, similar. So, for example, uh, I know someone who invented the, uh, the one of the early laptops, right? And so he had a patent on a laptop idea. He didn't even have to make it, but he was able to get royalties from other people who wanted to make it and wanted to use his patent. Um, then the um, trade secrets protects, you know, you think of like the secret sauce, the recipe, the customer lists, you know, those kinds of things. Anything that's not generally out there in the public, you can protect as a trade secret. And if, uh, you know, an employee, you know, takes your customer list and goes to a competitor and things like that, you can stop them by saying, hey, you're using our, our trade secrets. Um, and so then trademarks is basically anything that acts as a source identifier for whoever's, you know, uh, behind the product. So it can be, a trademark can be a word. Um, it can be a logo, um, it can be um, a color, um, and uh, it can also be sort of like, like if you're a restaurant, if you had a particular uh, decor uh, of your restaurant, um, 
you could um, you could get protection uh, for that uh, as well under uh, under trade dress. And the the deal with trademarks is uh, you don't get as I was mentioning before, um, you know, with the color uh, issue, you only get a trademark registered for for uh, the goods and services that you're actually using that trademark with. So. Um, you will not be able to get a trademark for things you're not using the product with. Um, and so, you know, that's why you can have, you know, examples. I'm trying to think of, well, let's just say, you know, hypothetically, uh, if you came up with a bicycle and you were selling a bicycle and you were calling it Hurricane, um, you know, I, I could also use the trademark Hurricane on, um, you know, clothing, right? Um, or, floor cleaner or something different right so um and there, and, and so you know the where where the fight kind of comes in with the trademark office is well then what are what really is a related good or service right because they'll the trademark office uh, will not let you register if the goods and services are similar that right this <laughs> so, uh, is very right it's very sort of subjective and, and nebulous so um clearly if you had you know the mark hurricane i could not use the mark hurricane for bicycles but could i use the mark hurricane for bicycle helmets right or could i use it for bicycle tires or bicycle parts you know so you sort of had this um you know scope of protection uh that and that's where the fight come in you know uh, not only with the trademark office maybe refuse my application for bike helmets but you know you may sue me for you um uh hurricane for bike helmets right and so and this is where i think especially for you know people who are considering uh a new brand is you know really make sure you do a search before you start using the brand to make sure you're not stepping on someone's toes, um, right? Because it's it's really expensive to rebrand. It's really expensive to pay someone, you know, damages and your profits because you've been using their trademark. Um, and uh, there was a, a U.S. Supreme Court decision in March, I think, of this year that clarified that um, if you're using someone else's brand you can still be liable for the damages, which is your profits that you made from the brand, even if you had no intention uh, of uh, violating uh, the other prior owner's rights. So, you know, willfulness is not an element that has to be proved for the, the prior trademark owner to uh, obtain your profits for trademark infringement. So, so that just really, yeah. Yeah, so, so examples of, of trademarks would be like uh, a logo or uh, a specific name is what you're saying. That's right. That's right. So uh, in our, in our hypothetical example, uh, the hurricane, you know, would be the, the trademark for the bike. Right. Uh, and you may have a, you may have a logo, you know, artwork, right. And now that, that could be separately trademarked. Um, the logo could be separately trademarked. But what you're saying is, is that if my, if I, if my name, you know, the name of my company is Hurricane Financial, um, it's totally different than Hurricane Bike. Um, so I would be okay with using Hurricane. But if I, if my logo matched what the 
Hurricane Bike logo was, then I wouldn't be able to use that. Well, uh, you you might be forbidden from using that under copyright, but the trademark office itself it, uh, would say, well, the goods and services are 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 different. So, okay. um, you know, they probably would give you a a trademark for the same logo, um, but you know, you would say, wait a minute, uh, we own the copyright to that logo. So, you know, you'd come after me for, for copyright infringement. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, again, this is why a search is so important, you know, to, at the very beginning, because you can really save yourself a lot of money by, you know, nipping something in the bud that you might really, you know, uh, be wed to, but realize, gosh, you know, it's just not, we're going to spend a lot more money uh, than we need to um, by, by, you know, paying someone off. Um, right. So, you know, if, if I want your listeners to take anything away from this is do a trademark search uh, before using a, before using a brand or, or launching a, or launching a business. So where's, where's the best place for them to go look uh, to, to see that you say, you're saying to, you know, investigate it ahead of time. Where, where do they go uh, do this search? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, the first place, you know, they, before they even call, a, you know, like a trademark lawyer, they could do their own Google search uh, of the name to see, um, you know, to see what they find, you know, themselves on Google. Um, and then, you know, then the second place they can go is the, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has a trademark search uh, function online. Okay. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit clunky, um, and it doesn't really catch things. So for example, if I, if you, if your mark was, uh, you know, hurricane, uh, bicycles, um, you know, worldwide, something like that. And I just typed in hurricane, it might not necessarily catch your mark, uh, because it's, it's very sort of, like I said, it's a little bit clunky and it's not, not as intelligent, maybe as searching functions as it should be. So we, uh, we use, um, for most of our searching, we use a, a private uh, search vendor uh, that has a really good AI, uh, and, good, and, and it's called the Clarivate Analytics. And Clarivate Analytics will do uh, a full search. And what I mean by a full search is they'll look at uh, the U.S. Trademark Office, they'll look at state trademark offices, they'll look at um, the internet, you know, websites, um, domain names, um, you know, social media uh, names, and it's about like six hundred and eighty-eight dollars or something like that. Okay. A little steep, but it's a little steep. But you know, at the same time, it's due. To, it's it's what we like to say is proper due diligence. You know, if you're going to launch launch a company, um, especially if it's going to be you know uh, interstate commerce. Um, you know, you just, it's just, it's, it's just money well spent, you know? So let, me, um, uh, let me follow up on that question though. So a trademark, if I get a, a trademark here in the U S does that mean it's good internationally? Gosh, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, trademarks are granted on a, on a country by country basis. So, um, you know, you, if you have rights in the U.S., uh, that just only gives you registered rights in the U.S. Someone can use your hurricane mark in the European Union uh, or India 
or, um, you know, Australia, right? Um, and sell bicycles under those names, unless you protect your trademark in those countries as well. So, and the problem is the world is becoming really more one, uh, one world with, with, you know, one jurisdiction, practically one worldwide, worldwide jurisdiction with, um, you know, uh, online sales, right? So, you know, if you sell your bike online, um, you know, you can, you're probably going to be shipping it, you know, not just in the United States and other places. So, yeah. So, and the problem is it gets very expensive, right? I mean, you're not going to file on all, you know, 88 countries around the world or however many there are, you know, you got to kind of pick your battles. So, you know, we usually tell people, uh, you know, if you're really going to be, you know, international, you want to do us and, uh, UK and EU kind of like right out of the box and probably Canada and Mexico too, as just sort of your baseline, you know? Um, and if you're, if you really, and if you're, you know, if your customers are really just in the United States, then you don't really need to, you know, like you said, if you're doing financial advising and, and your customers are, are uh, in the U S then you know, you could, you could just stick with the U S registration. But, um, yeah, a lot of people think that, um, just because they, they get the U S registration, they, they own it worldwide. And unfortunately that's, that's not the case. Right. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like, you know, okay, the fir first thing that somebody needs to do, um, you know, kind of before they go into to business or as they're going into business is really to check out to make sure that the name that they want to use or the image they want to use is not uh, trademarked or, or copyrighted. What are, what are other things that you see that are common mistakes that your clients are making um, before they come to you that they need you to help them uh, get fixed? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I would say a lot of times in addition to, um, you know, the name selection and the trademark selection, there's sometimes a failure to look at the whether or not the name is available uh, on, the, on social media. Uh, so, you know, let's just say, you know, using our hypothetical example, you know, if you wanted to do hurricane for whatever it was, you know, you might get the trademark and, and, and then say, okay, now let's go get our social media only to find out that, you know, someone, you know, has the domain name, someone has the Instagram, the, the Twitter, the Facebook, the LinkedIn, you know, all that stuff. So part of the whole process now, because of the way the world is and the importance of social media is in addition to clearing the trademark, you've got to make sure you search and make sure that all those social media handles are uh, available as well, or at least, you know, fit your, uh, your pattern. Like there are some options you can do. You could say, you know, make your Twitter handle, you know, at, you know, hurricane financial or, you know, add sort of a generic, you know, word in there. But that's the other piece that I, I think people need to be uh, thinking about from the very, very beginning, especially when you're coming up with the name of the company, um, because, you know, you want to sort of lock down all those, you know, social media rights, uh, as well. Um, the other thing we, we see a problem we see sometimes is, um, uh, people using, uh, trademarks, uh, very descriptively, um, and thinking that they can get protection for, uh, you know, words that are, that are somewhat, you know, descriptive. So, um, I mean, so basically the trademark office will not protection or exclusive rights to that are uh, descriptively
directly in connection with your goods or services. So uh, in our example, <clears throat> you could not get a registration for financial services or for bicycles, right? Because those are sort of a descriptive or generic terms that everyone needs to use to compete, right? Um, so we see sometimes people, you know, come to us and they want to get a, a, a trademark registration for, you know, a product or service, but they include the descriptive word in there, the generic word, and they say, look, you're just not going <clears> to, <throat> you're not going to be able to, to, uh, to get a registration for that. And frankly, I'm not sure it's good for you, you know, to be having your mark be such a generic or descriptive word in the first place, you know. Um, Part of the whole point of branding is to stand out in the crowd, not to not to blend in. So we, we see that uh, sometimes. So if you know, so I have a, a client who is looking to go into into business, and um, you know they're they're you know have decided okay they're going to create this logo and they're going to do all this branding and stuff like that. Um, they say that they have checked things out uh, on the internet, they don't see that it's taken. Is that when they should come to you or, or when, when should they come to you? That's when they should come to us. Uh, after have done their own sort of initial due diligence on what they can do on their own. Having uh, I try and do as much as I can myself. Um, and I think most business owners and entrepreneurs are sort of that way too. And, and I tell people, look, you know, like save, like you should be, anything you can be doing yourself, you, you, you should be, um, the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, paying lawyers to, to do stuff. That's kind of my, my feeling. Um, uh, there's a, you get to that point where it, you know, it no longer is wise and it becomes, you know, that, that famous phrase, it's penny wise, pound foolish to you know go forward uh on your own without you know professional you know guidance or coaching in, in an area if you're not really familiar with it and so i would say you know after they've done their own google searching and if they you know because you can you can sometimes find just through a google searching you, you'll so oh my gosh like there's an already someone out there using that okay let's change right and you don't have to come to me to tell you something that you could find out on your own just you know through a google search um, but, you know, once you've kind of gotten past the Google searching point and you think it's still available, then that's when you really need to come to a trademark lawyer and say, okay, look, you know, I need to do a, a real trademark search and, and have it an, analyzed by uh, a, tr a trademark lawyer who's familiar with what the issues are and what the, the trademark office will accept and, or not accept. Um, and the trademark office is getting really stricter uh, than they than they kind of have been in the past. We, we had an example recently where a client filed an application for a particular mark. I'm not going to say what it was, but um, it was for whiskey. And um, it was refused by the trademark office because someone had already filed, and it's, this is a new whiskey brand, so it hadn't been out there yet. Um, and someone else had filed for the same mark a few years ago for coffee. And the trademark office said, well, we, we think that coffee and whiskey are related products right and uh, so you know who could have predicted that right right but that's sort of you know and so we had to go through this whole argument uh, in, a, in a legal brief 
with the trademark office to convince them that no, you know, these are not related products, but, and they came back with some good evidence. You know, they were, they found out that, you know, um, some of the larger whiskey brands are now, are now uh, selling coffee beans, you know, who, who knew, right? Right. But, um, and uh, under the same brand. And so they'd say, well, you know, here's four people, four, four distilleries that are also selling coffee beans under the same trademark. So consumers are now expecting that, people who sell coffee are also selling whiskey, you know, or, or vice versa. And it took some, a lot of time to sort of, you know, unpack that from the, and, and convince the trademark office otherwise. But um, so those are the kinds of things that can, can happen uh, when you're searching, you know, if you're searching on your own, you won't really be clued into, you know, sort of what the trends are at the, at the trademark office. Yeah. I, I would certainly have a hard time thinking that, whiskey and coffee are, you know, considered same. Because um, I certainly don't think yeah, about what, getting yeah. up in the morning and, and doing a little whiskey. It's always the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. One's federally, one, one's federally regulated. You know, the other's not. One requires you to be, you know, age 21. The other, the other not. Right. You know, there's a lot of, you know, differences. But yeah. So, um yeah, that kind of so that's just a, I think that's a good example of the whole battle of you know whether or not the goods or services are related or not right. that, that goes right. on at the trademark office. You know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean that, that that's definitely one of those things where you know if it's you know that's a great example why someone you should use a professional like you to help them um, you know help them get through this process because. Yeah, they're they're not going to know that, and if they run into it, they're definitely not going to know how to how to battle it. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and that the less the lesson there really for all, all your listeners, I think the lesson is you really got to start the process early because in this case, the company that came to us, they had already invested and started, uh, you know, entering into contracts under the under that the name, uh, and uh, started you know making labels. Uh, and, and if, and if they get, you know, if they weren't able to get that, that trademark, um, you know, they'd really be in a, in a, in a lot of, you know, boiling water because they'd have to basically redo all their labels, uh, redo all their contracts and, and, and all that. And, you know, and it would take them another six months to, you know, rebrand basically. So, um, yeah, again, that's another, kind of, that, that's kind of surprising that they didn't come ahead of time because they have to go through ATF and everybody else. Um, exactly. and get approval. Exactly. So it that's yeah that's it, that's to me is a, a great example of why you got to make sure that that you do this early and not you know not, not wait until after the fact. I know I have you know many times I have potential clients come to me and they're already you know already started doing business and everything else. They haven't been incorporated. They haven't done anything. Um, no books set up or anything. And, oh, here, I need oh, you to fix me. Um, so it's <laughs> def definitely uh, interesting there. What um, kind of, what are your challenges right now with, um, with everything? I know, you know, you know, when we had talked earlier, you were saying that, that it really seems like, you know, business is picked up with, you know, COVID-19 going on and everything because of the fact you know, people are starting to do, uh, seem to be doing more business on their own and so forth. But, you know, so what are, what are some of the challenges that you're running into right now? Um, you know, from, from a law firm, 
management standpoint, um, I'd say one of the the, the challenges uh, are, are are twofold. The first is, you know, when when uh, when COVID really hit, you know, we we started working remotely, uh, and you know, with the team, you know, working from home, and I think we were pretty seamless about it because we uh, years ago had had scanned all of our client files, and we spent a lot of money scanning all of our uh, client files so that um, you know when we needed something, we didn't actually need to go into the office. We could just pull it, uh, pull it down from uh, the cloud. That was, that was really helpful, but you lose sort of, you know, the, the, um, the team dynamic, uh, you know, that's sort of important in every business of having people in the same room. Right. Um, and just sort of that, that, that energy that, that, that comes with that. And then, you know, you, you don't really know what your employees are doing during the day. Um, you know, you, 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 you know, you, in most cases, they're working hard and they're, they're working their tails off, but, you know, you just don't know. And you just, so you just kind of have to hope that, you know, everyone's going to uh, keep working hard like, uh, like they always were. And we never had any issues with that. Everyone on our team works very hard. But I know other people at other firms who have sort of uh, indicated to me, gosh, I don't really know what my people are doing, you know. And um, so what we do is we, uh, we have a weekly uh, a weekly uh, huddle, well, a weekly uh, team call, um, and a lot of it is not even to talk about work. It's really just um, kind of open, uh, free for all, just like we were, like we were, like we would be in the kitchen of the office, you know, just kind of chatting and about what's going on with our kids and our families and that kind of stuff. It's really an effort to kind of keep the glue, um, you know, among the team. Uh, and I think a lot of the glue that comes from not really so much from, you know, the working together, but from the, the other stuff, talking about each other's families and, and our kids and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's been helpful. Um, and then the other unfortunate part is we've noticed just like a, a real dip in a pant from clients, um, a lot, a lot slower than, uh, in the past. And, yeah. you know, you have to be simple, you have to be simple. Like, um, and and you know, creative uh, with uh, with clients who are struggling. Um, you know, the whole world, the whole economy is struggling, and so um, you know, you have to say, okay, look, you know, we we can do payment plans or things like that. But it gets tough when you know they need legal services, um, and you know, you need to pay your employees and you need to pay all your vendors and, and things, and uh, so you can't work for free. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you know, we're here to, our, our mission really is to help people. And so, you know, if someone needs help, we're going to, you know, we're going to come to the rescue, um, and sort of worry about, all right, well, we'll worry about paying for it later. We'll make sure that, you know, you don't miss some deadlines or, you know, you don't get hurt legally and we'll sort of work it out at the end. But, um, that's been, that's been probably like the biggest business frustration, I think. Right. So, um, I guess at this point, who's your, who's your ideal client right now? Wow. Uh, our ideal client is a client that, um, has both a U.S. and an international presence, um, and, uh, may or may not have an in-house counsel, um, you know, uh, 
sometimes we find that, at least for, for us, if a client has an in-house counsel, it's, it's good because that in-house counsel understands the, the need for trademarks uh, and has maybe been through a trademark uh, dispute before and has realized, all right, like it's, you know, it's, we don't want to be penny wise and pound, pound foolish. Right. Um, and, uh, and so they understand the value of getting us involved early. Um, and, um, and again, you know, international is important because we have a lot of relationships with foreign law firms. So we, we actually get a lot of work from foreign law firms, um, we have clients that need, you know, trademarks in the U S and, um, and so, you know, the same sort of is true in reverse. Um, you know, if you were going to be, you know, doing business overseas, um, you know, we could connect you pretty quickly with like the, the best firms in the trademark space that we've vetted over, you know, years of, of working uh, with them. We could say, look, you know, in this country, you want to use this, you know, this law firm to, to get your trademark. They'll, they'll, they'll do right by you. So um, that would, I think that would sort of be our ideal uh, client. If uh, somebody wanted to uh, enlist your services, uh, what's what? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, so our website is uh, reblinglaw. dot com. R I E B L I N G. dot com. And our phone number is two zero two six three one twenty twenty one. We are in Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, be happy to talk to anyone, uh, you know, off the clock who just has any basic uh, questions. Uh, you know, we, we love what we do. This is what we do for a living. And, and so we, we love just, you know, talking to, to uh, business owners and, uh, you know, making sure that they're you know, kind of pointed in the right direction. Okay, great. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.